Okay, hi. Um, I'm Fran. I'm also on staff here. A um, little bit older than most of the congregations, so when it comes to preaching a sermon, I often have to call on the rest of the staff to help with some of the illustrations and stuff. I thought I would expand the privilege tonight and ask all of you a question. The most exciting or suspenseful or surprising ending you've seen to a TV series, movies, dare I say sporting event? Yes. The end, that's the movie, isn't it? And anybody else? In what? Oh, okay. Well, the one that has the ghost at the all the whole time. What else? What? <laughs> Planet of the Apes. Okay. Okay. Jack Bauer. The end of 24. New, new heart. <laughs> Downton Abbey. I mean, that's kind of my speed. What are they going to do about Matthew? This church used to clear out at 8.30 on a Sunday. Oh, the chemistry teacher that became the bad guy. What's that? Breaking back. Okay. Well, the, the one that comes to my mind is not exactly an ending. It's the beginning of the end. Um, some of you know that in 2001, then again in 2005, I had the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone in West Africa with World Relief. And if you're not sure where Sierra Leone is, look carefully. Horn of Africa, West of Africa, Sierra Leone. Okay. Not Sri Lanka, that's off the coast of India, Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone had a brutal, horrific civil war from 1991 to 2001. I got to go there just as the arms agreements and disarmament was being done. Um, if any of you saw the movie Blood Diamonds, you saw a highly sanitized version of that war. Indiscriminate killings by rebel soldiers, drugged up, drugged the kids, made the kids kill the parents, and then turned around and told the kids, you have no one to live with except us, look what you did. Um, wanton, wanton murder. Um, and I asked the folks when I was there, so this war was going so strong for so long, why, why did it end? And uh, the Sierra Leoneans I was with laughed and said, oh, here's a story you guys never heard in the West, never quite made the news. What did make the news was in February of 2000, the rebel soldiers kidnapped 500 UN peacekeepers. The part that didn't make the news was the rebel soldiers, they were stupid. I mean, they were stupid people with big guns. They were using the peacekeepers' satellite phones to call out their demands all around the world. Well, you can trace a satellite phone. So after a little bit of time of diplomacy, and no work in getting these peacekeepers released. One night, off the record, British special forces dropped in, wiped out 200 rebel soldiers, released 500 UN peacekeepers, and said, by the way, will you tell them tomorrow that you did this yourselves? We were never here. Back up the rope on the plane out. Never made the news, 
That was the beginning of the end of the war. That broke the spirit of the rebel soldiers. And after that, the world did begin to get a bit more involved and realize what was going on. Later on, I have, I'm going to, this is an upfront warning, really. I have um, a video clip I want to show as part of this that is from the war time in Sierra Leone. It is viciously brutal. It is absolutely inappropriate for children. You will have warning to get your kids hidden away. And you can sit there like this or like completely like this if you want. But since we're talking about heaven and hell tonight, I wanted to go a little bit beyond Hollywood. I want to show you a little bit of hell on earth. Anyhow, we are actually in Daniel 12 tonight. We're in the last week of the series of Daniel. Um, we have seen how Daniel, throughout his long life, from, the, from his teenage years on, served foreign kings after his country, Israel, was overrun by the Babylonians. After the Babylonian Empire was overrun by the Medes and the Persians, he just kept serving those kings. So now he's in his 80s after an incredible long lifetime of faithfulness. Daniel has begun to receive a number of visions and prophecies. In several of the chapters, um, we saw, well, even last week, Mike spoke about Antiochus Epiphanes. He shows up in chapter 8, chapter 11. Daniel receives a vision. He's in like the 500s. But he receives a vision that the future is going to be good in that the Jews are going to go back to Israel and reestablish their country. But the future is going to be bad because an even worse enemy is going to come. Um, this fellow is likened to be the worst in human history as far as Daniel is concerned. Verses like uh, phrases, he threw truth to the ground. He leads by deceit. He would deliberately lure people into thinking he was a kind and good ruler, or else he would manipulate and coerce them and then just betray them. He indiscriminately killed, and he had a special vengeance against the Jews. That was the worst of the humans that Daniel was told about in his prophecies. But in chapter 11, we learn more about something that was also hinted at in chapter 7, chapter 8, and that is a person supported by institutions and systems and governments a kingdom, so to speak, that would outstrip any earthly evil that has ever been seen from Daniel's time on. Um, this person would so intentionally, himself and his institutions, organizations around him, so intentionally persecute and kill the people of God. And this this idea of such an arch enemy of God continues into the New Testament, so it's the character we know as the Antichrist. So Daniel has been given these sort of telescoping visions. I, I imagine having like one of those little lightsaber toys. It's about this long when you start, and then you, you, know, you flick of the wrist, and it's about that long. And this telescoping vision that Daniel has of the near future, so to speak, an enemy called Antiochus Epiphanes, flip that lightsaber out and you go right through all the horrors of history because this evil has been characteristic of so many times and generations and regimes. I don't care whether you're talking about religions that sacrifice humans, institutionalized slavery, genocide in Rwanda, Cambodia, um, the 
you know, child soldiers, human trafficking, concentration camps, we see this telescoping vision of evil, even as the kingdom of God and the people of God stand strong and their strength and courage and faith is all the more noticeable. To this total polarization of times, to the end times when this antichrist figure, this last enemy of the people of God, has control over the earth. And we pick up Daniel 12 in which an angel, or perhaps even Christ incarnate, is speaking to Daniel. The vision began in chapter 10. We've taken several weeks to get through. We'll conclude it tonight. But I want to read through Daniel chapter 12. And I'm going to pause at several points just to give a little bit of background and then come back and camp on verses 3 and 4. If I don't make comments on those verses, bear with me. We're coming back to them. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never happened from the beginning of nations until then. Michael, we were introduced to in chapter 10. Michael, the angel, the prince, who is protecting the people of Israel in particular. Um, a time of distress such as never happened before. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Your people, Daniel, the people of God. In his day, the people of God. In our day, the believers, the Christians. Names written in the book. A lot of what we see in Daniel pops up again in Revelation. Names written in the book. They used to keep citizens lists so they knew who was in and out. Names written in the book. We have passports so we know who's in and out. Names written in the book. The names of believers are written in the book and they will be delivered. We'll see as we go through. This is one of God's 11th hour deliveries. We wish it was sooner, but the suffering will occur before the delivery is assured. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. The dead will rise, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. There are some versions that say, Daniel, keep the vision secret, which obviously was a big flop. That didn't work. We're reading it today. But this idea about sealing up the vision. In the good old days, they used to make two copies of a legal document. No, you know, no photocopies, no electronic documents. One copy would get sealed, so it could not be tampered with. The other copy open for inspection whenever you needed it. You mucked with the open copy. It could always be checked against the sealed copy. The idea here is the words of these visions that Daniel is being given are true, and they are sealed, and they cannot be mucked with because the word of God cannot be changed. We have many people who will try to add to these visions, and they'll want to tell you exactly the day and the time of the end, mostly because they want to control or manipulate or show off or somehow get you under, you know, get you scared so that you listen to them. Do not listen to those who know exactly how all this will unfold. They are going beyond what is sealed in the prophecy. They're going beyond what has been revealed to us. There are others who will try to tell you there are other ways toward the end. It's all metaphorical. Philosophy says. Science has proven. 
Do not trust them either because the words of Scripture are sealed. They are secure. God cannot revoke his promises. He will not change his mind. And humans can't change as much as their creative minds want to, cannot change what God has decreed. You can tell I'm increasingly giving up on the trappings here and just going straight with the notes. Okay, then I, Daniel, looked, and before me stood two others. These would be angels, one on the bank of the ri- this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, third angel or Jesus, either way, an authoritative messenger carrying the true words of God in this vision. How long will it be till these astonishing things are fulfilled? They've already had this vision of the Antichrist, the wickedness, the peril, the destruction of the people of God. How long till this is fulfilled? Please note, this is not a, yeah, right, prove it. This is a trust that the words of God are true. And the question is, when is it going to be fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, standing above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by the one who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Now, we have seen cryptic numbers throughout Daniel, and bless his heart, Pastor Mike has explained them to us with cross-references and studies and comparisons, but all these cryptic, you know, time, time, and half a time. We saw 2,300 mornings and evenings. We're going to go on in a couple verses and hear about 1,900 days. You get to Revelation, you've got 1,600, you know, 1,260 days, 1,290 days. All these cryptic times. If you want to review that with me after, I'd be happy to review it with you after. We've been through it before, but right now, we're going to go with the best ideas that we have that it's in about a three-and-a-half-year period. But more than worrying about the time, look at the end of that verse. We'll go back to seven. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. As long as we have strength and breath and the degree of organization and freedom we have, these things are not completed yet. It's going to get tough out there for Christians. God has promised to save us through suffering and persecution. What we are protected from is ever suffering the wrath of God. If you belong to God, his judgment will not fall on you. But that's not saying you may not get screwed over on this earth. Suffering and persecution are there. If you think you can happy clappy your way out of it, you have misread scripture. But you will never suffer punishment from God if your faith is in God. Jesus even said to his disciples when they asked, how long? When? He said, it's not for you to know the time and the place. I don't even know the time and the place. The angels don't even know. They don't know the time and the place. We know so much from scripture. We have enough to go on in faith and in practice, even without us trying to put our own little brain power on it to make conclusive absolute claims on the times and the places. But this is what we know. The holy people of God will have tough times in the end. Go on. And here can be our theme verse from the book of Daniel. 
I heard, but I did not understand. So we study and we study and we get our Bibles and we cross-reference and we study and we ask questions and we come back again. Well, the angel who asked how long till it's been fulfilled didn't get too straight an answer. So Daniel gives a shot. Well, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? So how's it all going to play out? What's going to happen at the end? And again, not the most precise of answer. Who's going to win? We know who's going to win. I think I said this one the last time I preached in Daniel. It's the, you know, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The war is won. There's some pretty harsh skirmishes still going on. Just like when the troops in the hinterlands haven't quite gotten the message that the peace agreements have been signed. When we were in Sierra Leone in 2001, they were burning their arms and signing agreements, but nobody had told the people 400 miles away. So we didn't go there. We stayed in the capital city. It takes a while for the battles to end, even though the war has been decisively won. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end, time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. This little phrase, go your way, Daniel, we've seen that before. And in some ways it can be almost frustrating, but in some ways it's just, dude, just keep on. Just go on. It's secure. It's finished. Nothing can change it. God is sovereign. He has this under control. He has never been surprised. He's never sat up in heaven scratching his head saying, oh, my gosh, I hadn't thought of that. God is sovereign over all the events and times of this earth. Go your way, Daniel. It, it'll unfold. You know enough, just as we know enough from Scripture, to live our lives in a godly fashion as Daniel had done his whole life. Many in these, in these times will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Tough times have a way of bringing out the hero in people. I mean, Hollywood shows us that. We see that. You know, you can just turn on the news at night, and there's always a story of some unexpected hero. Forest fires in Colorado, whatever the situation. People who didn't think they had it in them can become heroes in difficult times. More for us to remember, I think, as believers is that people can see our reactions to difficult times, and it can spur them to seek out the Lord as well. If we can hold up, endure, speak honestly, tell our stories, trust, admit our failings, if we can go on, go on your way, live in your life, not as a Sunday Christian, but as a 24-7 Christian, that will indeed help others in their effort to become purified, spotless, and refined. And yet the wicked will continue to be wicked. There are some who are so stoked on themselves as master of their own destiny, as lord of their own life, as their own little demigod, that they will just never get it. In the end, the wicked will continue to be wicked. But you, Daniel, go your way. Be pure. Be spotless.
And then, then the, the angel throws him a little bit of a bone. Okay, let me give you, I heard, but I didn't understand. He gives Daniel just a little bit. This is back regarding Antiochus Epiphanes again. From the time the daily sacrifices stopped, which he did, and the sacrilegious object that causes desolation is set up, which Antiochus Epiphanes did when he sacrificed a pig in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. There will be 1,290 days, and blessed are those who remain and wait until the end of 1,335 days. Okay, enough with the days already. If you're a math whiz, you can do it with a 1260, 1290. comes out to about, guess what, three and a half years. Guess what? Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple, slaughtered the pig, stopped the sacrifices in 167 B.C. That's a few hundred years after Daniel. And guess what? The Jews recaptured the temple, reconsecrated the temple under Judas Maccabeus in about 164 B.C. About three and a half years. Wow. Prophecy fulfilled. So then what's this next one? If the temple's been rede- you know, rededicated, what's the blessed with the, those who remain to the end of 1,335 days? And I tell you, if you had time to sit down and read every commentary Denver Seminary, Isle of Seminary, and the Internet offers, you still wouldn't know. It is such a guess. So my guess, I checked with a biblical scholar... Now, granted, he is New Testament, not Old Testament, but I'll take his word on this. He said, my guess is as good as any. And the, to endure for 1,335 days means you need to really, really, really endure to the very, very, very end. The thing is, is there anybody, anybody like me, really, you don't need to raise your hands, but this is an admission. Have you ever noticed how temptation kind of ties you up in knots, can, literally make you tight and all you can think about is what you don't want to do or what you shouldn't have and your brain is tight and your body's tight and then you give in and you know what it feels good you relax it just feels good to not have that pressure it feels good to give in for a time for a time for a short time we give in 10 10 the temptation, because let's admit it, Christians, it does feel good for a short time in the immediacy of it. However, every time we do that, every time I do that, it really is preempting God's timetable and showing my distrust in his timetable. It doesn't really matter whether it's for something good that I want you know, maybe I really want to go to school, so I don't bother, you know, really praying about where to go or what my major should be. I just start applying and I go. Or maybe I really, really want to be in a relationship. And that guy's good enough. He'll do. Want to be married? Okay. We'll get married. Yeah, and just, I just, even for what is good, I preempt God's timetable because I can't take the pressure of waiting. And then if it's something bad, I want to do an end run around God's sovereignty. I don't like having this long-term disease. Or I don't like this situation, this crappy job I'm in. Or I can't go another day in this marriage. I can't live like this anymore. 
is the one thought. I'm getting out of it altogether is the other thought. And have you ever noticed how in the midst of temptation, we lose our ability to see anything in between the two extremes? I can't take this. I quit. And I can't tell you how many people I have talked with, okay, in between you can't take it and you quit. Do you see alternatives? But as sin gets a bigger grasp on us and temptation tightens us up so much, we cannot see those alternatives. We desperately need each other in those times to help us see what's in between. I can't take it. I'm out of here. Or I can't wait. I'm doing this. Because we are admonished in scripture to live on God's timetable and trust and depend on him, regardless of the difficulty of the circumstances or the difficulty of waiting for the blessing. So finally, once more, Daniel is admonished. Go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. You will rest, you will rise. You will die, you will raise from the dead. You will receive the inheritance allotted for you. This is just a throwaway, but when I came across this sign in Australia, I thought those Australians are mad. What in the world? Which way is one way? We can talk about that later. Let's go back to these two verses especially, verses 3 and 4. No, you're going the right direction. Go ahead on the, on the other side of the... Yep, that's the one. Thank you. That would be the one. Well, we see here in, in these verses about sleeping in the dust of the earth, which means dying, and awakening, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame and contempt, the clearest reference we have in the Old Testament to a resurrection. The clearest reference we have to a description of the afterlife. And I wanted us to camp on these verses for a little bit and learn just a little bit about what the Bible itself says about this everlasting destiny. The truth is, it's there. What we do in this life is determinative of how we live in eternity. That's the truth. Here is a surprise for you. Um, Pew Forum, big organization, 35,000 people surveyed, 2009. 74% of Americans do believe in heaven. 59% of Americans do believe in hell. What about breaking it down by age, 18 to 29? What would you suspect? Let me tell you, 74% of 18 to 29s believe in heaven. 62% believe in hell. So here's something, you know, here's sort of a Daniel moment for us. I mean, pop culture, you know, culture, media always tells me nobody believes in heaven and hell anymore. Yes, they do. When you ask them. First lie of our culture is telling us you don't believe. Truth is, we do. Not everyone. But that's a good majority. That's two-thirds, three-quarters of Americans do believe in heaven and hell. So lesson number one, don't believe the media until you've checked out their sources. Lecture, lesson two, don't believe what culture tells you about what they believe about heaven and hell. Let's get to scripture on this. Um, I think too often we 
we think of heaven as, you know, the clouds and the fat little cherubs and angels and wings and utter boredom. And we think of hell as pitchforks and men with pointy little beards and horns. And that's where you get to hang out with your drinking buddies, right? That's a lot more fun than heaven. That's what culture will tell us. That is not what scripture will tell us at all. Um, This morning, probably that line about not seeing your drinking buddies in hell was what kept people awake for the next 10 minutes. So if if that's what it takes for you, fine. Hear me out on why you're not going to meet your drinking buddies in hell. You'll meet them in heaven. Lesson, and I will tell you why. I will tell you why. Lessons to be learned. Multitudes, everyone who sleeps in the dust of the earth will awake. Everyone will be raised from the dead. Everyone. This happens. This is truth. We will be very conscious of this. We will be aware of our circumstances in the afterlife. Hang on to that thought. Everlasting means everlasting, eternal, an eternal destiny determined at the point of death. No second chances, no work your way out of it, no talk your way out of it. Eternal destiny, everlasting life, or everlasting contempt. Two options. So how do we get from, how is this verse, everlasting contempt to a concept of hell? Well, let's go back, think for a second. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's not a physical place, right? You can't get an airline ticket and go to the kingdom of God. There have been plenty of nations who have thought they're the kingdom of God, our own included. But we know the kingdom of God is not a physical place. The kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God, the authority of God. So heaven, the perfect presence of God, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is In its perfection, heaven, the kingdom of God present here, those outbursts of God's presence and acts in our world. So neither is hell a place, a physical place that you can dig down to in the core of the earth, despite what Hollywood says. Hell would be a place of absolute absence of God and all things good and just, and righteous. The absolute presence of God versus the absolute absence of God. This is one thing almost everyone who believes in heaven and hell would agree on. The details of the fire, the brimstone, the clouds, the harps, debate them out as long as you want. Presence of God, absence of God. Shout out to Jesse Heilman for giving, it, giving me this thought. If we are told to devote ourselves, and God wants us, mind, soul, body, and spirit, the complete absence of God will be torment for us. Mind, soul, body, and spirit. Absolute psychological torment, physical torment, spiritual torment. Presence of God Absolute perfection of all the senses that he has created with. Absence of God, loss of all that. And so at this point, I want to show that video clip. No children allowed, please. Seriously, this is a scene. What, to set this up, a videographer in Sierra Leone, when the rebel soldiers invaded the capital city in 1997, realized 
that if he was found and recognized, he would be killed. So he took a risk. He went out to the rebels and he said, let me film you and I will tell your story to the world. And he did. A few days after he escaped, after shooting the most graphic stuff imaginable. But for what I was there, folks, I've been there. Let me show you what the absolute absence of God looks like in the midst of a civil war. 60 now, seconds. Give me 60 seconds. Now, you may judge for yourselves. In the battle for Freetown, the vaguest suspicion was enough for either side to kill. So many died that bodies were dumped outside the city's mortuary. We had seen familiar parts of the place we lived in turned into battlefields. You became glad when you didn't recognize the next body you came across. In this madness, my job was to record the history happening in my country where random roadside justice was the order of the day. Personally, I feel that was the only way that people will be able to understand what was happening in Sierra Leone when they see the true pictures, the real pictures, the brutality. It was a very dangerous thing to do at the time. But so you see why Hollywood has nothing, nothing on the reality of what humanity do. And I just want to ask you, if this is hell on earth, no agenda, no cause, no law, child soldiers, amputations, public rapes, what would eternity without the presence of God be? You would not be with your drinking buddies because relationship is a characteristic of God. We see that in the Trinity. We see that in his love for us. So if relationship is taken away into a mind-crazing isolation, you better plan on hanging out with your drinking buddies in heaven. And if heaven, I, maybe I shouldn't mention names, but somebody came glumping up to me after the morning service and said, I love homebrew. There'll be homebrew in heaven? Yeah, probably. And we won't get drunk. No. Because it's the perfection. Perfect homebrew, perfect friends. Think about it. The perfection of all that God has created versus the absence. So let's talk more about heaven. Enough about that. Um, got another slide on the kingdom, Daniel. So I'll skip that one. We saw that enough. Enough, enough of hell right now. One more? Yes. Daniel 7, where we learn that he, the Son of Man, Jesus, given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Remember, we said it's not a physical place. It's a dominion. It's a rule. It's a mindset, an attitude toward the perfection of God. It will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And then, also in chapter 7, we learn, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. All rulers will worship and obey him. So we often hear the little phrase, when you die, you'll go to heaven. In fact, our daughter was told this in Uh, She was about two and a half, three in Sunday school. We couldn't figure out why she was terrified to ever go into Sunday school. And it's because they taught her, when you die, you'll go to heaven. And she was afraid it was going to happen in that room. So she didn't want to go. So we finally worked that through her abstract little mind. But what we have here is the promise that not only will our Lord reign in heaven, but the chosen people of God, those who follow him, will reign with him. We'll put it this way. There is life after death. When you die, you do meet God. But there is life after life after death. In this kingdom of God, which, surprise, surprise, he will bring to earth in a perfect state where we will have the perfection of all that we have enjoyed here on earth. Let's look at the Revelation verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And if you don't want to go to heaven because you don't like Thomas Kincaid heavenly pictures, you're going to a city, so you should enjoy that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God with us, Emmanuel. 24-7, 360, eternity, dwelling with God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. No more abuse, no more fear, no more suffering, no more betrayal. Perfectly restored relationships, perfect health. Those buddies that annoy you at times won't have those annoying qualities. Either will you and I. We're as annoying as they are at some times. Perfection in the kingdom of heaven. And we, the believers in Christ, get to share this. This is heaven, not the clouds, not the harps. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's scripture again. It is trustworthy and true. He said to me, I am, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So there's our choice. There's your choice. God is sovereign. God has set the parameters. We choose within the parameters. Choose for God. Choose away from God. Hear me clearly. This is not saying that if you had a bad night or even a bad season of life, that that's it. You have done something to condemn you to hell forever because we serve a loving God who is always willing to forgive and reconcile. 
for whatever we have done to whatever extent for whatever length of time. It's about your orientation. Are you oriented toward God, a child of God, trusting in God, dependent on God, worshiping God as Daniel was, even as he lived in the midst of a culture that taught him to worship or enjoy anything else he wanted or any other God? Are you oriented toward God Or is your God yourself? I am master of my own destiny. Or is your God what is casually thrown in front of you? Are you too ambivalent, apathetic to do anything except succumb to the pressures of the culture and the pleasures of the culture? It is a choice. We get to choose. God is always willing to receive us when we want to orient our lives toward him. But hear me, there is an eternal destiny. It is our choice. C.S. Lewis put it this way. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. A little longer quote from C.S. Lewis also. Taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God or else one that is in a state of war and hatred with God. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is. It is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or another. We are nearing the end of the book of Daniel. Two things, if you can take away from this entire series that we've done. Um, Daniel never caved to the culture. He was always aware in order to maintain his purity and his worship of God alone. He was aware every decision he made and its implications. And he chose constantly to serve his God. I had told um, Mike that um, at the end of this, I mean, congratulations to all of us for getting through the book of Daniel. That that takes a lot. And I told him that as a joke, I was going to have the Hallelujah Chorus pl- played at the very end. And then I realized how appropriate it is. Because, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. This has been only a partial explanation of some deep things. We are going to have prayer and question answering in the prayer cave. Do not leave here disturbed tonight. Leave here confident. Amen.